The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.theweightcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. I, I would like to encourage folks to to uh, get out, get outdoors, get out on the rivers, the streams. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people that I talk to that that uh, that are interested in fly fishing and angling, and they seem intimidated by it that it, it seems too complicated or complex and uh i i don't think it's i don't think it's that hard or complicated i think if, there's a lot to learn but that's great uh, to learn um not only about fly fishing you can buy flies or you can maybe someday learn to tie flies you uh, but you're learning about wildlife uh stream Biology, your out in the sun, the the sounds, the 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 smells, the everything about the woods and 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 the the, the waters. Go out, enjoy it. Uh, if if you need help getting a rig, it doesn't cost much. You can you can you can purchase even used equipment uh, and get on the water and start. And and I would encourage everyone to to get out there and. And enjoy it and i think it's a great it's really a great excuse to be outdoors uh to to learn to be healthy and not only for your body but for your mind and and it's a it's a very rich lifestyle and and i would just encourage everyone to 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 get out there and 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 enjoy it I, I love the way you verbalize that because I think, you know what, as, as, cause I know you like myself get so much out of it. We want everyone else to get that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, it's interesting because, you know, years ago I would spend so much time out in these beautiful mountains and scenery and wildlife and experiences and stories. And then when social media came along and the internet and cell phones with cameras and videos, we, we can share that now. And I always wanted to because it was just so much and so wonderful. It felt almost selfish to keep it all myself and now we can all share with each other. And that's, that's one of the neat things about, about social media is we can all share our experiences. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a good community. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. 
Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We are going to head out to eastern Pennsylvania today. We've got Fred Klein on the line. This man has a passion for the history, kind of the history, the art of fly tying, fly fishing. We're going to talk all about it. Art, history, classic fly gallery, streamside journal, and dig deep on this one in Eastern PA. Fred, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, man. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So one thing we like to do is kind of um, dig into your history. Like, I mean, I know you're big on history, but tell me your personal history. So when you look back and you go, this is when I kind of came to discover fly fishing. Uh, walk us through your journey, kind of how it evolved, where it started, and, and uh, how you came to be so passionate in this space. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, my family was originally from Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, North North Philadelphia along the Delaware River, and my grandfather and my dad were fishermen. Uh, they were they they had boats. They actually built wooden boats, uh, and so we spent a lot of time in the salt and in the river. Um, and my 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 mom and dad bought a uh, an old farmhouse uh up in up in the country in pennsylvania uh closer to the appalachian mountains okay and uh, so this this was uh on a on a on a dead end road in the middle of nowhere with a lot of acreage and we had we had uh a spring house and two ponds and a trout trout stream going through a property and the ponds were spring fed and and loaded with with very nice sized brook trout and by nice size i mean they were you know from 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 average size up to 24 26 inch brook trout wow that sounds that and sounds all right <laughs> wow it was amazing you know and i it, as a kid i thought it was amazing um so my dad was a my family were hunters and outdoorsmen. We spent a lot of time up in the mountains in Pennsylvania, camping and hunting and and doing stuff like that. So when we moved to the country, of course, I just dove into it. Uh, and at at the age of, I believe I was nine years old. It would have been seventy six. Uh, a friend bought me a a. A fly rod. It was an old South Bend fiberglass fly rod and reel, and I just fell in love with it and took off with it. Um, and we had we had larger streams and rivers and and ponds in the area, and and so I just fished and 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 hunted and trapped as a kid, and just really really appreciated the woods and and in the outdoors and just, just never, it's been a lifestyle for me ever since I, I can remember. Mm, that's awesome. So if, if, when you look back at kind of who shaped your fly fishing, like who, who helped you, whether it's figure out how to tie or whether it's figure out how to cast or just in general, if you had to cite a few influences, who would you looking back kind of look to? 
Well, uh, as, as a kid, when I was young, of course, we didn't have the Internet or uh, the resources like we do now. We didn't have YouTube or anything like that. So it was it was library books. And that's where I learned how to do it. Well, library books and magazines. Uh, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, and, and, and books. And a lot of the books that were available in libraries were old. So uh, I, was, I was getting information from books that were back in the 70s were easily 20, 30, 40 years old. Hmm. And that was good enough. And that was more than enough, really, because a lot of that literature was outstanding. So I was a, I was a huge reader. And uh, learned it basically from reading. Back then, in in my area, I didn't know anyone that fly fished at all. Hmm. I I had uh, I had someone show me how to cast for about ten minutes, and uh, I I taught myself. And you know how it is when you're really into something, especially if you're if you're a hunter, whether it's hunting or fishing. And fishing really is. In a way, you're 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 hunting mm-hmm. uh, for trout, uh, but you get into the game and you you learn you you learn techniques and teach yourself and and, and read and I, I I guess I'm self-taught for the most part. And then of course uh, over the years, you know there's so many resources to to learn from. Uh, you know I want to say as far as fly tying. Two of two of the uh, the biggest influences to in, in my fly tying uh, experience was was you know Ray, the Ray Bergman's trout. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the a lot of the old journals, uh, the outdoor journals would would have articles about tying flies and so forth. I tied a lot of flies that I made up. Um, and found out what worked and what didn't. But David David McPhail was a was a big influence. Ah, oh, love that guy. On. Love that guy. He's just he's just wonderful. He he's he's so good. Yeah. And he's he you can tell he's a master tire because uh, he'll sit down and tie a fly and 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 every move counts and and it comes out beautifully. Uh, and also Barry Ord Clark. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, was was a big influence, and then uh, he's he does some great work and and has some 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 outstanding tutorial videos of tying. And uh, this was much later on. Um, and then I I met some folks that that were tying traditional and classic flies, which I always had more of an interest in. I fished just about everything over the years. I would say nymphing and dry flies and. Um, but I started off with traditional flies back then because that was really what most people fished with. Uh, right. How much would you say, were, Fred, that like you know your tying has been shaped by those books? Because you kind of alluded to that when you're you know you're you're in the library because that's where you got the information back then. You're looking at books that are fifteen, twenty years old, so they're probably truly classic patterns. Was that kind of what you think? Maybe where it all started for you that retro kind of thing. Uh, it, it was, yeah, old, old books, you know, in the seventies, if you had a book that was, 
you know, several decades old. It could have been from the, the 60s, the 40s, or the 30s even. Uh, but, you know, I I think that that I was always, I always gravitated toward the, the traditional classics because uh, classic flies are so beautiful and, and it adds an element to fishing. Um, you know, a, a pretty great ghost or a, a royal coachman or or a uh, queen of the waters or grizzly king. Um, there's a there's an extra thrill in in swinging, you know, a traditional fly through a stream or a river and catching a trout mm-hmm. for me. And and so I think I always gravitated towards that. And of course, I spent a lot of time nymphing and and fishing the contemporary patterns and flies also. But I always come back to the the simpler, uh, you know, the older the older style uh, flies and equipment for that matter. Well, there's a lot, Fred, that I can learn about the classic patterns. Because I mean, I, I got to admit, I'm guilty of probably tying up the latest, greatest thing I read in the latest, you know, whether it's Fly Fusion or uh, Fly Tying Magazine or whatever. Um, but those classic patterns, those go-to, sometimes I think those are kind of under underutilized. You know what I mean? They've not that they've gone the way of the dodo bird, but there's there you don't see them in fly shops as much, and I suspect there's not as many fish seeing them either. Well, uh, I'll tell you when when I started fishing, some of the some of the tackle shops back then would uh, it wasn't that long ago it was in the 70s but they traditional and classic flies were very popular then because some of the people some of the folks that were fly fishing back then were my age then and so that's what they knew how to fish with you know right uh you know i know that the uh the farmer that taught me how to i i do a lot of fur trapping and the guy that taught me how to trap was, he was in the 80s and the 70s, so he would have been born in the 1800s. So some of the older people back then, that's what they used, and so the shops still had, they, they would still sell flies with with snelled, flies with, with snelled hooks, because they were used to, to a, snelled, a snelled hook versus an eyed hook. Hmm. Um, but then all that changed quickly over the years. Yeah, pat- fly patterns. Uh, I find fly patterns fascinating how they evolve. It's funny, though. So, so you and I have been kind of going back and forth for a few months now. Um, you know, we went through, I think you had COVID, then I had COVID, then you broke your arm. <laughs> there's been, there's, we're, we've been through a few uh, little gauntlets to make. First off, how's your arm? Is it feeling better or are you still kind of struggling? Well, it's it's in a cast, but it's a mobile cast, and I can take it off, which is great. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool, actually. It looks like a cyborg cast with a with a joint at the elbow, so I can huh. move it and tie flies. Uh, but yeah, I I was I was uh, shark fishing down at the uh, off off the surf and and slipped on a on a rock jetty and oh, broke geez. broke my arm and and uh, shattered my elbow. But at this point, it's it's coming along. I may have to get surgery. My goal is, I'd like to see it heal up before before bear bear hunting season gets here. Yeah, fair. 
Huh. What but it's is, coming along. Is it affecting your fly tying, or are you still managing to, to tie up a few? It 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 has affected it. Yeah, I've been I, I haven't been able to spend much time lifting my arm and, and bending mm. it that much, but it's getting to the point where I can now. So I I, I actually tied a fly today and it, and it went pretty well. Good, good. We've but got actually, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, and and uh, it's kind of interesting about it's getting. Well, it was about a year and a half, a year and three quarter. Not quite two years. Mm-hmm. I was uh, fly fishing up on the the Salmon River for steelhead in February, and I ran up by myself and got a cabin and uh, was super excited. And it was dead of winter and snow. And anyone that's been up along Lake Ontario realizes that's that's a whole different kind of winter up there on the on the leeward side of the lake. And uh, so I went out all excited at 5 a.m. to catch a steelhead and 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 got got hammered by by cold weather and got frostbite on my face and my my hands hmm. and legs and toes and went through a year and a half of recovery from frostbite and it was pretty wow. pretty, uh, pretty brutal so it, it, actually, for a year and a half, I could not be out in daylight, really, without being completely covered because my skin could not handle any daylight at all. I, actually, we couldn't put the curtains up in our house for a year and a half. Huh. And thankfully, this this spring and summer it started to recover, and I'm back to the point where I can go out with uh, sunblock and a boonie hat. So I'm good. The little the little things you don't think about, like how your skin recovers from uh, ultraviolet radiation every day, and it just happens. But I I appreciate I, I appreciate that every day now. Yeah, well I I had no idea. I mean we've all been super super cold, especially further north you go, and I get that. But was there was there a point at which you went you knew you were in trouble, or was it kind of too late? Uh well. I was more concerned about catching steelhead. <laughs> of course, and, you were. <laughs> uh, you know how that is. I was, uh, I was, I was enjoying the, the day and the game, and it was so cold. There was there was hoar frost on the the uh, the foliage, and I knew that it was super cold, and it was it, wicked wicked winds, and it would go from bright, clear blue sky to to blizzard conditions and I made it until I fished alone and I made it until one o'clock in the afternoon. And it just, when the wind would, would hit me coming off the lake, it hurt so bad. I knew that it was damaging my skin. So I, Mm. I hiked out. It was about a mile, mile hike out to my truck and I, I couldn't get my waders and boots off because they were so encased in ice i had to sit in my car for an hour to let the the heater fall out my laces on my boots so i could get my waders off and then i i went home to the cabin and spiked the fever and slept till the next day and felt very sick and i went out to get something to eat and said boy it was really cold yesterday and they said yeah it was minus 12 with like 25 30 mile an hour winds hmm. So yeah, I got hammered. Yeah, no kidding. 
Well, I'm glad to hear you're on the mend from that. And I had no idea about the, the UV aspect of frostbite. No idea. Huh. Well, what happens is this, the, the, the water in your skin, you know, or a, a large majority of water yeah. in, in our, our bodies. And what, what happens is that water will flash freeze. And it got my ears, eyelids, lips, nose, and fingers. And uh, when it freezes, uh, it, it degrades your 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 skin at at a cellular level, so that your skin cannot handle the the rays of the sun at all. It just yeah. every time you, every time you get ultraviolet radiation on on your skin after that, it just blows up and turns into a mess. So it was a year and a half of that, and I'm very grateful that yeah that I'm I'm back to normal. Well, and so, so is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was with you on that trip. No, but she was with me when through the year and a half when oh. when we couldn't go anywhere during the daytime. I was gotcha. I was going out fly fishing in the middle of the night and late at night up ah. in the mountains and and uh, I, I was we we would joke and say I was like a a vampire. I'd go out. I would go outside after it got dark and go go do my stuff. Did you find any big browns in big browns in oh, those yeah. night trips? Well, I got, I got, I got a lot of experience mousing for browns at night. Yes, and streamers, <laughs> and which flies worked. And uh, I started fishing closer to home though, and not up in the mountains because because my wife was uh, concerned about me being up in, in, you know, deep in the mountains at late at night. But um, yeah, I, I got a lot of good night fishing experience, and I love it. That's awesome. That's a whole different game. We have got Fred Klein on the line out of Eastern PA. Um, he's got Grizzly King flies, which we're going to dig into. But first, Fred, something I like to do on the podcast is kind of get a feel for your area. It sounds like there's a lot going on out there we can dig into. But one of the things, so let's say you're driving out to your favorite stretch, whether it's in the evening or now in the daytime. What is playing in the truck on the stereo? Like, what kind of are you a music guy? What kind of gets you to your destination? Oh, that's great! I, yeah, I love I love music. Uh, I grew up I grew up with with music playing constantly. Uh, I like a lot of different kinds of music, but I I do listen to. Now while I'm driving to go fly fishing. Um, for the most part, I listen to classical music. Uh, I like classical music, some some uh, sacred, classical, traditional sacred music. Mm-hmm. gets me in gets me in a good mood to to uh, go up and go in, into the outdoors and enjoy myself for the day. Yeah. And every once in a while, some some uh, some good seventies, sixties, seventies rock and roll. <laughs> you're you're mixing <laughs> it up a little bit. Um, let's talk fly patterns. So I, I know you love the classics, but if you had to pick one, and I know that's a crazy question, but more often than not, what are you reaching for out of that fly box? Uh, Grizzly King. Ah, that makes sense. Hands down. <laughs> of course, of course you did name your business after it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Grizzly, the Grizzly King, uh, fly pattern is, is, a simple pattern, and it's it's very similar to the professor. Uh, the the grizzly king has has a green a forest green body or an olive green body or any type of green body. Uh, 
and a professor has a yellow body. Um, but a grizzly king is a green body, uh, a gold tinsel rib, a, a reddish tail or scarlet tail, uh, brown or grizzly hackle, and, and a mallard wing. And that can be tied in so many variations and different forms from streamers to big, uh, big gaudy, colorful, size two wet flies that you could use for large brook trout, brown trout, and salmon. And then it makes an, um, probably one of the, one of the best streamers that I've ever used in a flat wing style on a, on a big hook or a small hook. There's so many different ways to tie that one single pattern. I think if I had to pick one fly, that would, that would easily be my pick. Hmm. And it, it would be the fly that I would say that I've fished the most over the years successfully. Do you fish that mostly on a dry line and kind of, or are you fishing a sinking line or sink tip? How, how do you fish that pattern? A streamer can be fished as you would a wet fly where you cast across or on a di diagonal across the stream and then let the fly swing with a few men's downstream. And then typically I let the fly hang at the end of a, uh, a straight line for a while and then raise the rod tip and that motion of a, of a large attractor or natural wet fly swimming in the water uh, encourages a lot of strikes. And then when you raise your rod tip, the motion of, of that fly rising in the current uh, also, uh, I get a lot of strikes uh, because it, it it would it would it would look like a, a fly rising or hatching or speeding to the surface and fish tend to chase flies like that. Yeah. Now yeah. a streamer a streamer uh, a traditional streamer such as a grizzly king, whether it's small or large, and I normally fish very large streamers, uh, I would cast across stream and shoot for the far bank and strip it across toward me into a swing and then retrieve the fly upstream from a straight line toward toward where I'm standing. And as you strip as you, you strip a streamer like that upstream, the body of the fly, because a grizzly king is a a rooster hackle or a big mallard hackle. Uh and and it's a it's a big fly between strips it pulsates from large to slim and that looks they call that uh that's it looks like a a, a minnow breathing or expanding and contracting as it's swimming through the water yeah i can see that and it can be very effective yeah for sure well it's a classic for sure so is there one place in Eastern PA, in your kind of neighborhood that you go to talk fly fishing. So when you're not in your waders or on the water, where do you get your fix in the world of fly fishing? Well, I, I, I tie, I tie flies at a lot of fly shows. I, uh, I do a lot of speaking engagements at, Fly fishing clubs, Trout Unlimited, uh, museums, all over. 
um, during COVID, it was it was more Zoom, and and then recently it's been in person. And before COVID, it was in person. I have I have several very good friends locally that I fly fish with, and we talk a lot. And of course, uh, clubs, fly fishing clubs, and trout unlimited groups. Yeah, and and also online, Partridge of Redditch. <laughs> I'm on the uh, Partridge of Redditch Pro team. Okay. I didn't know that. Partridge of Redditch, Partridge of Redditch hooks. It's actually it's called the the signature signature fly tire program with Partridge of Redditch hooks. So I I I interact with with folks from from all over the world, uh, Scandinavia, Germany, Italy, England, Scotland, Ireland, and we share and talk and have meetings, conference calls, and and Mark Hamnet, the the owner of of Partridge of Redditch is, is it's fantastic because he does such a great job and he enjoys it. He gets all these signature tires from all over the world to get together and we have a good time talking and, and sharing. Uh, and it's it's very neat to see everyone's fishing pictures and, and all the different fly styles on the Partridge of Redditch hooks. Uh, so that's that's a big part of my, my engagement with, wow. with the fly fishing community as well as the fly shows. and. Uh, here in the east and, and about are you guys doing that like via zoom or uh, is it like a online kind of group how do you do that we do uh we do both we we do online groups where we talk regularly and people send pictures and we all chat throughout the day and then we we do zoom zoom meetings regularly it's very active very active group if you had to go to let's name one or two of your favorite fly shows. Like which are the ones that you, you love to free? Like, are you at the New Jersey one, the Somerset one? Or are you at, where, where do you like to uh, get out and, and talk fishing and shows? Well, uh, my favorite is, is the, uh, the, the, the fly tying symposium in Parsippany. New Jersey, right outside of New York City. That's a okay. For, for anyone that hasn't been there or heard of it, it's it's a very smaller venue. It's it's actually rather large, but it's not quite as large as some of the bigger fly shows. And it's fly tires from from all over the world come together, and and it's a fly tying symposium. And it's actually put on by the the folks that that put on the fly show nationally yeah right but this this is strictly the fly tying symposium and that's my favorite so many great fly tires there like last year barry Ord clark came and i got to meet him and and talk and and uh the john and katie demuth um you know some of the best names in in fly fishing fly tying and also it's a great place to 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 get exotic fly tying materials and and uh, such things I usually have a list ready when I go there and spend spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So now you mentioned, you kind of alluded to the fact that you are in Eastern PA, that you're maybe not that far from Philly. So let's, let's go down the sports rabbit hole, Fred. Um, are we talking, are we talking Eagles? Are we talking Steelers? Are we talking Penguins? Are we Flyers? Where do you get your fix uh, in the world of sports? Throw it out there. 
Well, this is this is uh, Eagles, Phillies, Flyers country, um, Philadelphia sports region. It's funny, Pennsylvania's Pennsylvania is split between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and this this half of Pennsylvania would be would be Philadelphia teams. <laughs> uh, I'm my my wife and I enjoy we watch football and I've followed baseball over the years but I, I've never been a huge uh, TV watcher so I, I I tend to be more spend my time outdoors than than watching TV but we like to watch football games and an occasional Phillies game yeah I love it so probably not a Steelers fan oh Steelers are great <laughs> oh really come on who, do, who, do, who doesn't like the Steelers you're the, you're that one guy that likes both the Steelers and the Eagles Wow, I love it. Well, sure. Love it. Sure. Keep it in PA, Keystone State. Like it. Okay, let's talk about what fly fishing does for you. I always like to ask this question because I think it is the question. Books are written on it. Podcasts are based on it. And it's a question that I wonder, and I, I still can't quite answer it, but why do you spend all this time at the vice? Why do you spend all this time on the water you know whether it's uh, scurrying around in the in the dark chasing <laughs> chasing big browns or or <laughs> stumbling over rocks trying to get at sharks. What does it do for you? Why do you do it? Uh, fly fishing, hunting, fur trapping, backpacking, canoeing, camping out in wilderness areas. I. I enjoy going in the deep wilderness backwoods areas where there are no trails and very few people, if any. I've, the, most of the rivers and streams that I fish, there are no trails. They're very, they're, they're largely unfished. Um, Pennsylvania, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, New York, uh, occasionally the Rocky Mountains. Uh, the the, the wilderness wild trout is what, what I enjoy fishing for. If I go, and, and it's a preference, you know, a personal preference, but when I go fishing, I try to find waters that are unfished and there are no trails and it's a long hike in to get there. The, the, the reason, I would say that the, the, the greatest draw for me has always been to be in the outdoors, to be in creation, to see wildlife and see the beauty of it and be part of that. And fly fishing, hunting, trapping is a, really a reason to be out there. Like we, we typically would not spend a lot of time out in the mountains and woods roughing out and going through all the, extre the ex extreme weather conditions unless we had a purpose and the fly fishing is a reason to be there and a purpose to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it, it's a very rich life. The things that the scenes that I've experienced in my life and the rivers and the scenery and the wildlife and stories and, and experiences have just, I, I feel that it's a very rich life. I think it's, it's healthy. It's wholesome when you spend a lot of time in deep wilderness areas, you tend to be someone that lives in the moment. 
and the solitude and the quiet and leave the noise behind, the glare, the entertainment and the screens and you you live in the moment. And mm-hmm. I think that's a different way of living. And I, I, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing what I do is to encourage other people to do that because I think it's healthy for people's mind, heart and soul in so many ways. I have, we, my wife and I have, we have uh, a big family with a lot of, a lot of grown adult children, uh, our children are grown and we have a lot of grand grandkids and I, I hope that they all follow and, and learn to enjoy the richness of, of a life uh, outdoors. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, you know what, that's really well verbalized. I, uh, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I want to talk about your job history, your careers. Now, there's not many people I talk to, Fred, on this show that basically fly fishing is all they do or fly tying. And you happen to be one of those few. Um, but let's talk about jobs. Let's talk about like your past. Um, what's the best gig you've ever had? Are, are you doing it now or is it something maybe you've done in the past? Oh, this is the best I've had going all my life. I love it. <laughs> mm. I love it. I uh, I love fly fishing and fly tying. It's just it's it's been a real it's been a real blessing to me. I I grew up in a a trade family uh, originally from Philly. My grandfather was he was the the Indian motorcycle outboard motor repair guy. Uh, in, in the North Philly area, he had a shop and I grew up in my dad and grandfather's shops. My dad was, was a, he was a, uh, a master tradesman, uh, carpenter, mechanical. And so was my grandfather. So I, I grew up watching the men in my family do amazing things. And they took a lot of pride in what they did. And I, I knew at a very young age that if you put your mind and heart to something, you can do incredible things with your hands and and your mind. And I just grew up thinking that's how things were. And and they they set the bar high for me because they did beautiful work. Hmm. And uh, so I I I was a carpenter and a builder when I was young, and then went to school and. Uh, had a career in, in uh, commercial real estate uh, in the banking world and moved about the country in the corporate real estate management. And then I was uh, a manager executive of, of large commercial construction companies and solar energy companies for most of my career hmm. and now I now I now I work in fly fishing fly tying full-time so okay so if you had to look back in your career and I don't want you to slam because you know what we all make living different ways but what's the worst job you ever had what's the job and you might have to go to high school for this I don't know but when you're sitting there and you're going man I do not know why I did this what would that be in your case 
I, uh, let's see, it would be a toss-up between being a, uh, a laborer mixing cement for masons, loading scaffolding and working for, for, for masons as a laborer. And I also, actually it was very tough, but I enjoyed it. It was just, just fixing up old, I worked for several years fixing up old houses just going in old, worn out, uh, abandoned homes and and rebuilding everything, electrical, mm. plumbing, roofs, inside and outside. And I learned a lot doing that. That was tough, but I really did actually enjoy that. Mm. Cool. I, I always th- I find it fascinating looking back at all the jobs, you know, over over our kind of working lives. But uh, working with your hand and you talk about working with your hands, basically you're doing that now, which is kind of cool. And so I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, you're, you're in your tying room, you're, uh, at your vice, you're coming up with these, uh, you know, you're tying these historic patterns. Let's talk about your t- fly tying setup. Cause I do love talking setups. So what, what type of vice do you like to tie on first? Off, let's start with a tool. Okay. Let's start with what kind of vice are you tying at these days? Well, I uh, I started tying flies on a on a handmade vise that my dad helped me make on a wood, and it was actually a clothespin that held the hook, and that was how I started uh, as a kid. And then I got a a clamp on Thompson for a long time, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was the that was a standard fly tying vice for middle class America and all over the probably all over the world. And for years since I've been tying more publicly and professionally, I tie on an HMH vice out of Maine. It's a, an American made vice. It's their standard edition. And I've just always tied on simple vices that hold your hook and nothing fancy and that's what that is but it's a pretty very pretty vice the the machining is beautiful good folks i'm actually on the the uh, signature tire team for hmh vice cool um but that's what i've been tying on for years and that's what i tie all my flies on and it works great and i'm not planning on changing <laughs> well it's funny with vices right it's what we're used to and uh, i was reading you know based the fact that you love the history of kind of our pastime, I, I have full props for that. It's like, you know, you're talking about tying on large hooks with no vice and, and basically in your hand, you think back far enough, or maybe you're using some kind of, you talked about like a, like a pin, like a bobby pin, something like that. And I think we've all kind of, we've evolved a, a ways past that, but there's something cool when you look back at the history of where we've come. Some of these fly tying vices these days are absolutely full on crazy, but I, I find it fascinating what you like to tie on. So let, let's jump into what you like to use for bobbins. Let's kind of run through your setup. What do you use for bobbins? Um, how do you like to kind of put that thread on the hook and what kind of thread do you like to use? I love talking about the main parts of your, your tying setup. Well, uh, I, I'm a simple guy and I use simple tools. I, I, uh, I have a, an old ceramic bobbin that I bought many, many years ago. 
and I don't know the brand or the name, but I've been using it forever and it works for me. Um, and I have, I have several, I have two, I have three, three bobbins that I bought years ago and I just still use the same ones. I don't even know who makes them. Um, it's hmm. an old cool. antique bobbin and I have a, I have a, I, I use Dr. Slick scissors. I think they're great. I have uh, one pair that I've been, I resharpen regularly and it, it works great. Um, let's talk I, about, I, let's talk about your thread. Like what do you like to use as far as thread, Fred? I use, I use the same thing all the time. I use uh, Danville, mm-hmm. ADOT. Mm-hmm. And Danville six lot, and that's all I use. Wax? No wax? No wax. Wow, you're going retro here on me. Hmm. That's that's all I ever use. Six lot and eight lot Danville. It works works pretty good for me. What is the hardest feather material for you to find that you like to tie with? Well, there's. A lot of the the, uh, the fly patterns that that I tie are out of books. Uh, Mary Orvis Marbury, uh, Ray Bergman, a lot of you know blacker, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, from from England, Ireland, and Scotland that are 100, 200, 300 years old, including going back to. 500 years four or 500 years ago um it's funny to read those those books because the 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 fly the fly dressings call for you know the 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 feather behind a great horned owl's ear a uh, buzzard <laughs> the 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 wing of a buzzard uh an eagle's uh rump you know uh a lot of seabirds, they, they were very, very detailed. And so tying fl- traditional fly tires are challenged with, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the feathers and materials that, that, that were used in the, the old flies are really not available anymore. And they're legal because of the, the, the wild bird protection act in America. Yeah, but fair. I would say, uh, one one material that I that, that's hard to get a hold of anymore and to use with with the paperwork is polar bear. Uh, there's laws about that. There's you know blue jays. You know a lot of the a lot of the the, the blue jay flies that were tied in the 1800s were tied with the American jay, and that's a wild bird. It's protected, and you may not use that now. So now. Mm-hmm. We use the the Eurasian jay, which is a, a blue jay from Europe, which is available, and you can purchase that legally online. And then I, I use a lot of those. Actually, the the European jay wing feather with the the blue and the black stripes and the the uh, the gray is, in my opinion, a, a nicer a nicer feather than the American jay for fly tying. 
and it's been used for well, you know, hundreds of years. The Eurasian jay. Okay, I got to ask you a crazy question, and you might laugh at me, but is there any synthetic stuff that you use, or is it strictly kind of fur and feathers? I don't use any synthetics. I I uh, I follow the dressings of pretty pretty much all the flies that I tie and fish were were created and developed before World War II and long before then. Uh, so there really were no synthetic materials used uh, for the feathers and, and hackle um, and dubbing. It was all natural. Uh, you know, of course, uh, tinsel was, was synthetic and there were, there were some synthetics used here and there, but for the most part, it's, it's uh, feathers, natural feathers dyed. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, grouse, turkey, and on and on and on. And also fur, which I really enjoy because I trap and I, I, I run a trap line. So I, I have a lot of wild wild game materials that I that I take myself. I hunt just about everything and bear. And, and so I, I really enjoy using uh, materials from the game that I that I that I bring home myself. See, for me, that's the ultimate act of recycling. I find that kind of cool. And um, I talk to a lot of people that like synthetics, like foam, but I would say that for me, they're never as lifelike in the water. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, a lot of it is amazing. You know, it's it's incredible. It's it's incredible to see the the evolution of of flies over literally over the last five or 600 years from the beginning. And it's crazy because a lot of the flies that were spoken of in the time of uh, Shakespeare and John Smith, uh, you know, pioneering America um, worked very well and, and you can tie them and fish them now. Although the, you know, the, the, uh, the evolution of fly Fishing and fly tying, we've learned a lot. Uh, a lot of the syn synthetic materials are amazing and and do things that the natural materials can't. There's there is an element of environmentally uh, the natural materials will naturally biodegrade and decompose versus some of the synthetics won't and if you lose a fly or lose a fly in a fish's mouth um, or in a tree, it will be there for a long time. Whereas a feather or fur tied fly with wool will biodegrade rather quickly. Mm, yeah. That's something that actually I never really thought about. I'm, uh, I know it might sound naive, but I never really thought about that. Cause I, I always thought, you know, you're tying with synthetics, it's it's uh, it's a man-made product, but you're, you're bang on, whether it's foam or, or otherwise, it's uh, it doesn't break down uh, like nature kind of maybe intended, but <clears throat> I love it. Um, so, so tell me, as far as Grizzly King flies, um, where do we find you, and what types of thing will we find when we locate you? Well, uh, I would say the most exposure that grizzly that, that 
that I get with, with fly tying Grizzly King Fly would be Instagram, YouTube, and I have a website, grizzlykingfly.com. Um, I'm actually I'm actually in the process of up, updating the website, which I it was just long overdue, and it's a it's a very uh, painstaking process. But I'm I, I do my own website work, and I'm I'm rebuilding the entire thing. When I'm done with it, the fly gallery, it, it's it's huge. The the uh, the fly gallery of traditional classic flies and everything that I use is is pre nineteen nineteen 1940s and older. Um, it should be by far one of the largest collections of traditional classic flies. Um, don't quote me on that because I could be wrong, but it'll be it'll be up there. And I'll have a store online. I have, uh, and I, and I'll I'll put flies up that I tie. I've I've been doing a lot of custom orders for people, but that gets to be very labor intense because the mess that tying a lot of different flies in one day creates, you can spend hours putting everything away and cleaning up. So I'm going to focus more on, on sitting down for a day or two and tying, let's say a queen of the waters or a gray ghost or a jock Scott or a grizzly King or a Royal coachman and tie that, that same pattern in small, very small sizes, larger, more, uh, uh, more tractor on larger hooks and then streamers so that I have the same materials out and I can be much more productive and produce a lot more flies for hmm. folks that way and then put them on the store and uh, I'll I'll definitely listen to what people want and 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 uh, tie a lot of the more popular patterns and I have quite a few patterns that I developed myself uh, I enjoy creating my own traditional patterns and for me because I'm a fisherman and I spend so much time in the water that in a rather obsessive amount of time in the water I create flies in the traditional methods that work because I want to catch fish so I'll have some <laughs> of my patterns on. I'll have some of my patterns on. you know the thing is is that the interesting aspect of traditional fly fishing is in America, um, we we had we had rainbow trout in the West in the Rocky Mountains, which wasn't really relevant for a certain time because no one was out there. the The majority of of fishing in the United States of America was in the East and Northeast, uh, moving up into, you know, Canada and, and Michigan and, and so forth. So a lot of the a lot of the native trout that were being fished for back when many of the books and some a lot of the traditional classic fly patterns were developed were brook trout and salmon. And with with the the onset of of manufacturing in the industrial era uh, and timbering, we lost the the uh, the brook trout. Uh, because because brook trout are, are actually not trout they're char, right. and they're they they need that cold clean water, and so the the 
the German European brown trout was brought over here by by Seth Green in the 18, late 1800s. So a lot of the flies that we the traditional flies were were patterns that were developed for 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 brook trout and brook trout and brown trout are very different very different fish and and they feed differently and are attracted to different things. So I I make a lot of my own patterns that that are developed to to fish for wild brown trout, which is something I enjoy very much um, in the traditional methods, but they're more natural and more uh, more of a fly that would imitate natural prey of a wild brown trout. Mm. And of course, if a wild brown trout eats it, a native brook trout will eat it every time. So I, I have I have some patterns that I like to make, and I'll have those up on the store. You make an interesting point there. I never really thought about that. So traditionally, if if fishing was kind of in the let's say the East Coast kind of area, you're dealing with you're dealing with char, whether they're brook trout or 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 brown trout, and 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 I'm sure there's yeah there's similarities with rainbows, but that's interesting that you said that because I, where I'm at, there's not a lot of brown trout, and I struggle. I do struggle catching char. I got to admit, rainbows. And cutties are kind of more my wheelhouse, but um, it's a different game, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, brown trout, <coughs> brown trout are are very large. They're they can handle warmer water. As a matter of fact, today I was here in some of the tributaries. I, I live near a very large river system. It's massive, and I check the tributaries, especially right now because it's been so. Uh, so hot and dry this summer for an extended period, which is which is very typical. Uh, but it's been you know it's August and it's we're going into September, so I checked some of the tribs, and the river here is is uh, 79, 80 degrees, and there's a lot of wild, big, very large wild brown trout in this river. And they have yet to come up in the tributaries looking for thermal refuge. So the, 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 the wild brown can tolerate a lot more. The, they can tolerate more uh, toxins in the water and also warmer water than a brook trout uh, or a rainbow trout, for that matter. Yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. Um, it's kind of, they're probably more accustomed to it coming from Europe. That makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different species, and the the brown trout is they they do like to go after flies and uh, that that are natural, and they get spooked easy. Uh, uh, let's see, my friend my friend Steve Troutman and I joke about you know like a a, a brook trout will hit a fly like a like a teenager in love, and a brown trout is more like an old man. They they sit back and wait, and 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 they choose carefully what they're going to take, and so you have to tie a more natural presentation. That's uh, pretty quotable right there. I'm going to pull that one out of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um, let's talk about what we find when we when we visit you. So grizzlykingfly.com. We're going to see um, a lot of your your interpretations maybe of some of these patterns, but also the classic patterns. And if we want to, if somebody's listening to this show and said, hey, I want to I get into maybe tying some of these patterns, um, 
is your Instagram kind of a good place to go and visit and find out how you're doing it? Yes, it's. I, I'd say it's a very good place. There's a number of of fly fishermen and fly tires out there that uh, that are uh, promoting that, that have a lot of knowledge and experience tying and fishing traditional classical flies, and we want to pass that on to the next generation and the, the, the younger folks and people that aren't younger that are getting involved in it and want to fish with, with some of the, the traditional classic attractor and streamer flies. So uh, the Grizzly King fly on Instagram uh, and also my website, there's so many other great tires. Uh, Freddie, uh, Freddie's flies, uh, um, Matt Beers up in the Catskills, the Catskill Fly Tires Guild, Corey Golden. There's so many that are talented people, and we're all interested in passing all this on to the next generation. So if if anyone is interested and and would like help, there's I can direct uh, you know interested folks to 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 different. Uh, resources and I'm also willing anytime to help someone or do a zoom meeting and, and help people learn how to tie. Mm, I love it. Traditionals. Well, and for me, the Fred, that's what this is all about is kind of passing on that tradition. I think, uh, what you're doing, like it's one thing to talk fly tying. It's another thing to hone it down to the traditional patterns. I think it's really cool what you're up to. And we had your, your good buddy, Corey Golden, AKA uh, Streamside Scotch on the on the program. He said, "Man, you got to talk to Fred." <laughs> yeah, Corey's a he's a real good guy. He ties some nice fly. He, he ties some some beautiful uh, streamers and bucktails and fishes them all over uh, Michigan and and travels a bit. And he's a, he's a very good resource. Streamside Scotch. Uh, yeah. Love it. Well, Fred, hey, thanks so much for doing this, sharing your fly fishing story, telling us kind of the story of Grizzly King Fly, what you're up to. Look him up on, on Instagram at Grizzly King Fly, or you can uh, just Google grizzlykingfly.com. Check out what Fred Klein is up to in Eastern PA, art and history of fly tying, classic fly gallery. Check it out and Streamside Journal. Fred, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I wish you a great season on and off the water. Well, thanks, thanks. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thankful to be invited, and, and it was a good time talking to you. The Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.